Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about preparatory steps you need to take in piano sight reading. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. Today's episode was inspired by an article by Rosemary Penner called How to Maximize Sight Reading During Online Lessons. It actually goes much further than just online lessons. And one great idea that she goes into is creating a bridge. So creating a bridge to sight reading is a wonderful way to look at it, I think, and is really what inspired this episode. This episode is going to talk about the importance of preparatory steps in general and what steps you need to take. So many of us were just thrown in at the deep end with sight reading, weren't we? I remember my own sight reading exercises that I would have done in preparation for exams and I was basically just told, hey, you get a minute or two minutes or whatever it was to look through this and then I'm going to ask you to play it. And during that time, I would just stare at the piece and maybe figure out some of the notes And eventually, yes, some of my teachers told me, you know, look for this, look for that. But really, I was just staring at it. What I think these preparatory steps do is take that thought process outside of the head and into tangible steps that you can do together with your student so that later they can put them back inside their head. So if they need to do this process of preparation silently and quickly, don't worry, we'll get there. But they need to do it out loud with you walking them through it first and much more broken down into steps than I think we usually do. So this list of steps would be a great place to start if you find your student struggles with some other area that we're not mentioning, then maybe you include that in their preparatory list of steps. These steps should take just about five to ten minutes And that sounds like a lot when I'm talking about one minute of thinking time in an exam situation before you play the piece, but it will reduce over time and it's definitely worth doing. It's going to improve their reading skills so much. Before we get into the steps, a quick note about what to use these with, because I've mentioned sight reading exercises there. That might be your go-to as well, or maybe you've never used a sight reading exercise book in your teaching and that's totally fine too. It can be done with exercises that are specifically meant for sight reading. It can also be done with something like Reading Railroad, which is our series of short four-bar reading exercises that come with backing tracks inside Vibrant Music Teaching. Or it can be done with any new piece. 
If you have a student that you want to improve their sight reading skills, or maybe you want to do this with everyone, try just doing these steps before every new piece. Maybe you introduce one new piece each lesson that you do these steps for, right? So if you're introducing more than one piece, then fair enough, don't do them for every piece or you'll run out of lesson time. But you could definitely fit in doing this with one piece and it will bleed through into all their other pieces. And remember, it's just on the first plane because we're talking about sight reading here and you only get one chance to do sight reading. If your students are just reading regular pieces, say they're in a method book or something, they only get one sight reading opportunity with each of those pieces. So you want to make the most of it. The first step comes directly from Rosemary's article, and I love this because it's something that I'm going to add in myself. Everything else in this list is stuff I would already do. But she starts with swaying, and I love this. She said um, that her students were struggling with feeling the pulse in their music, playing with a steady beat, that kind of thing. And she started introducing swaying before they play anything, and that it's really helped with their sense of beat. So have your students sway side to side in time with you. I love Rosemary's tip of trying to do it out of time with each other or trying to do it out of time with the music and seeing how hard that is to do. And that's because the player, the performance, the orchestra, whatever, is playing with a steady beat, right? So swaying back and forth is a great first step. Literally, that could take 30 seconds. If you're doing this online, and you want to do it to music, just play the music from your end and share the audio. In Zoom, this is under the screen share settings if you're looking for it, or you can look up how to do it using whatever platform you choose. The next step is to experiment with one note, two note, three note improvisation. If you want to accompany your students' improvisation and you're teaching online, just have them mute themselves on their end, so they mute their mic, that's going to mean that they continuously hear what you're playing because it won't cut out because they're playing across it. So you can do that to still do improvisation accompaniments online or if you're in person, of course, you can just play along with your student and have them improvise and start with just one note. You could use the first note from the piece they're about to play, have them play just a G with a steady beat or then with various different rhythms, keeping the steady sense of the steady beat. And then you could have them use two notes, then three, and build up that way. So it's always accessible, always easy and manageable for the student. I would also have them then improvise in the key of the piece, especially if they're a little bit further along. If they're right at the beginning and everything's in C, that's fine. You don't necessarily need to do this step. The one, two, three note improv would be sufficient. But if it's in a different key, I would improvise with them just for a minute in that key so they get comfortable with where are the sharps and flats, you know, how do I find my way around this key and especially if they're further along, remind themselves of the scale fingering because that's going to come up if it's a more, you know, a, a sight reading piece that moves across the piano a bit more. Then have them tap out the rhythm of the actual piece. So this is the first step where I'd have them looking at the real music and they would tap the rhythm. I say tap rather than clap because I want them to do both hands at the same time. They can count while they do it. They can say, could I rhythm syllables? It depends on the situation and the student. And then have them sing the rough shape of the music. So this is just the loose contour, sliding their voice up and down or singing roughly what it might sound like. If a student has been with me a little while, I would have them do this in sulfur. So actually singing 
again, roughly what they think it sounds like. They don't have to get it all right, but figuring out the notes in solfa is a great, great place to start. Yeah, it's just a wonderful way to work out the intervals without naming intervals. But having said that, the next step, you could cover intervals. This depends, again, on the student and their level, but I would have them colour something on the music. So looking at the written music and choosing different colours for different intervals would be great for a beginner level student. If they're further along, maybe they shade in the phrasing they're going to use. Maybe they colour the dynamics or even write in the meaning of dynamics on top of their music. Some of you may be shaking right now going, no, we can't write on the book. So if that's you... You can use tracing paper on top of it. You can take a photo with of it with your phone or iPad and have them do the notation on your device. If you're teaching online, you can share a PDF version and have them do it or have you do it, depending on the student's tech skills, notating it directly on the screen. So there's lots of options if you're afraid of colouring on the music. One last one, though, you can get erasable coloured pencils. So I have those in my studio just in case we want to change something. That's what we tend to use. So they're going to colour in something on the music to make it stand out to them, to find the chord patterns, to find anything. Even a more advanced student could be doing Roman numeral analysis on the score in colours. <laughs> it makes it all so much more fun, first of all, and that's a good enough reason in and of itself. But it also makes things stand out, makes them see the patterns more easily. For instance, if you make one a red and five a green, you're going to see how much of the music is actually just those two chords and it's going to make it feel more accessible as well. After that, they're going to play it once. If they're using Reading Railroad, I would play it, have them play it the first time using the slow track, especially in the beginning. And then if they're getting more confident and you know this student is a pretty strong reader, have them try the fast track first and then only use the slow one if they feel they want to practice it a bit slower. But the important part, no matter what piece, no matter what they're doing, if you're sight reading something, you don't stop in the middle, you don't fix things, you just do your best to get it roughly right. As much as you can, correct, but you keep going no matter what. This is where we come back to the swaying and the pulse. If your student needs more reinforcement of this idea, you might even sway sitting beside them or online, sway along with their music, and they'll see if you pause or whatever. So it tends to emphasize that what I'm looking for here is pulse, steady beat, good rhythm, more than anything else, because that is what I'd prefer rather than the right notes on the first playthrough. It should be a convincing performance, and wrong notes don't make it unconvincing. So it's always better to have the right rhythm. They play it through once if they're using a backing track or playing with you or playing on their own, and then assess. This is a step I often used to skip, but it's really, really good. So they get to the end, ask them, okay, what did you do well? What could you do better? Very simple question, but that's what I tend to say. It gets students to come up with something in either direction. Some students are overly generous with themselves and think they did great because they weren't really listening to their playing. And more often than that, not my students are too critical, so they'll want to say everything that was wrong but not the thing that was right because surely something was right. So come up with something you did well, something you could do better, there's always an area you can improve and play it once more still as sight reading. At that stage if it's just a sight reading exercise you can set it aside and move along. 
if it's something they're going to be learning, now you can go back and fix the mistakes and work on the tricky parts and do all that kind of thing or leave them to practice it themselves or whatever you prefer, wherever that piece is heading for you, whether you want it to be more independent or more involved. So just to go through those steps again to recap, we started out by swaying to the beat, an imaginary beat or beat from real music that you're playing. Then we did a one note, then two note, then three note, then maybe four note, then five note improvisation using rhythms from the piece or just using that steady beat if they need more reinforcement of that. We did an improvisation in the key of the music if it's not in C. We tapped out the rhythm with both hands so that they're getting how the hands coordinate together and practicing their rhythm skills. We sang the rough shape of the melody or we used solfa to sing it more accurately but still not correcting things, not fixing any mistakes in pitch, that kind of thing. Then we coloured in the music in some way, maybe we coloured in the intervals, maybe it was the dynamics, maybe it was the common chords, maybe it was a repeating pattern. Then we played it once. If we're using a backing track, we chose whether it was slow or fast. We assessed it, said what could be better, what was going really well and we should maintain. And then we played it once more. And we either check it off or we continue to practice it in a different way. All of these steps, all of that not reading time that you might be worried about because they're off the bench and on the bench and they're using colouring pencils and they're all over the place... All of that time is going to eventually become condensed. It's going to distill itself down so that it becomes their thought process. But it needs to be explicit before it can be implicit, right? It needs to be really thought out out loud before they can think it through in their head. It will reduce in time, but it is valuable time to spend. And you can see that all that beat keeping that we need so much and the rhythmic work and everything, that's all valuable in every area of their study. So it's not wasted time. Eventually that will reduce the time down and become part of their reading process. But until then, just enjoy it. Celebrate every step along the way. Really get involved in it with your student and have fun. Enjoy choosing out colours for different things and swaying side to side and feeling silly when you try and go off the beat of the music. Actually get in on the fun yourself and your student will love the sight reading process. Your one thing this week is to try these steps yourself with your own reading. Pick out a piece of music that you haven't read before, anything at all. As with students, maybe go a few levels below your normal reading level for a sight reading piece and try all of the steps I mentioned, every single one. Yes, you might feel silly, but it's good to feel silly and get outside of your comfort zone from time to time. And then when you have played the piece, notice how this improved your reading or what area you might think it would improve a student's reading. I'd love to hear how you got on. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Let me know on Instagram at Colourful Keys or in the Facebook group, Vibrant Music Studio Teachers. I'll see you there. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. 
We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.